0: So Friday night, I got the chance to go to this really amazing event that some of you in this room went to. Uh, it was a, a concert, a, a, an orchestral concert, which I'm not uh, very accustomed to. Like, I was such a tourist. I kept, like, leaning over to Rachel and be like, this sounds like the best sound system ever, you know, because it was live. And, uh, and it was called Home, Away, and Home Again. And it was a musical presentation. Uh, presentation from uh, their Theology and Arts Institute, um, specifically by a guy named Jeremy Begby, who's a friend of the church and um, preached here in the early, early days. The whole evening was kind of formed around showing through music the shape and the content of the gospel, um, that home is this theme that keeps returning over and over. From For all of humanity, from Adam to Israel, each and every one of us longs for home. It's our story. We've somehow known it or we've felt it. Even, even as we, like the lost son in Luke 15, often have wandered into a far country. Even as the Israelites were driven from their home and then they write all these psalms. That's what the psalms are um, before they were like motivational posters. They were Israel's corporate songbook, often talking about what it's like or what it should be like to get back home. And on Friday we heard an awesome, uh, in addition to the music, we heard an awesome poem from our buddy Tequila, who many of you guys know about. Uh, She talked in this poem, and it was really amazing, um, about growing up in a home with her grandmother. And then... She went to live in a group home, which she said it was exactly not home. And then um, she talked about how finally, recently, she's been finding home once again at at North Street Community's corner house that is, is forming home for her. Here's an amazing moment where the Dean of Duke Chapel like intoned this longing for home and some of these spirituals that were created in slave communities that either personally or like their ancestors experienced the homelessness of displacement through the middle passage. So from home away and back home again was, was the shape of the night and it's the shape of the story. It's a It's realization and it's truth is the ground of our Christian story. Uh, I'll stop because I am I get really excited. I don't want to make y'all feel bad for missing it. And I also can't play anything, so I can't replicate it. I also can't speak in an awesome Irish accent as one of the poets uh, did. But today, and how that connects with, with today as we continue this series in uh, Philippians, we get to this passage in our... In, in Paul, who he's um, introduced himself as a prisoner, an apostle in chains, and he writes to a suffering people from prison in Philippi. And I'm, we're struck in his words, and it's just this short little end to his passage. We're struck with a similar dissonance. There's a, a similar kind of homelessness that's happening here the Philippians' experience doesn't feel much like home. Because home is where you're embraced. Home is where you know and where you're known. And this might not describe all of your homes, and I'm sorry if it doesn't. But when home is really being what home should be, home is, is for holidays and home is for comfort food. Home's not for tension and fear. It's not for suffering. It's not for peacelessness. But Paul knows, as well as anyone, what it feels like to be caught in this kind of in-between space, this homelessness. He's located away from home, but he's longing for return. He writes in all these letters. It's really cool. These are actual letters of correspondence, and he writes like, I can't wait till I get to see you again. Like that, that's Paul's longing to be with. He calls these friends and he calls us um, then to imitate him in this uncomfortable space that he's in. He says, watch those who live this way and imitate them. Them being those who have become experts in living in no man's land who are somehow able to pull off living as citizens of heaven while building up into a strangely faithful colony here on earth. Like these are like border species who thrive in harsh conditions. These are resident aliens. And so we watch these people and we try to learn from them. We... We, we try to cultivate this identity that Christ has given us as residents of heaven in this colony on earth. And all the while we, we try to do that by, by not being so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good on one side, but also being in the world but not of it on the other. And so there's this tension. Do you feel that tension? I think we all feel that tension and we navigate it in certain ways. Attention drives some of us nuts, so we resolve it by either living here or living about 10 feet above ground at all times, not putting in roots and not contributing. So it's precisely this tension that I kind of want to play around with an image today um, for a couple minutes to help us kind of live into this identity. And again, I want to do this both because I think this is something we already are and so if you know who you are, you can become more yourself. <laughs> but I also think this identity is pretty cool, especially in the area that we're in, because we're surrounded by a lot of these people who experience life this way. And we can, we can form relationships and actually learn about ourselves through these people. So the, the image I want to use, as you might have guessed from the title of the Sermon on Your Song Sheets, is the image of a third culture kid. And when we were walking through, I said this to Matt upstairs, and, and he said, oh, you should talk to my mom about third culture kids, uh, because of all the missionaries uh, they grew up around. So, of course, a third culture kid, if you don't know that term, is is like, a you know, to an extent, it's, it, it describes a lot of realities, like nomads or First Nations people. These are dreamers. These are missionaries and their kids. These are refugees. And displaced people. These are adopted ones. These are envoys or first generation college students. These are military kids or itinerant pastor's kids. These are people who grow up in a culture that doesn't belong to them or their parents. But then when they go back to that culture, they don't fully belong there. They're in this no man's land. They're not native to anywhere and they always kind of stick out like a sore thumb. And I'm going to completely overgeneralize on this, because uh, this is not everyone's experience, but this is the general experience. Even though each of and every one of their like, experiences and circumstances are unique, they often describe a common sense of being at home anywhere, yet feeling that home is nowhere. That's the third culture kid experience. And so when I was looking around at this, because you can look at me, and I don't speak to you today as a third culture kid, not culturally. Um, But so I took to the Internet. And whenever you take to the Internet, you wind up with these awesome, like, Jeff Foxworthy style lists, you know, Um, especially for this, like, kind of fringe experience. Like, the Internet has corners for everyone, right? And so I found all these lists of, like, you might be a third culture kid if... You know, and most of them are pretty funny. Um, so uh, I just want to report a couple of the things, uh, observations from those lists. One thing is that these third culture kids often have a, a really interesting relationship with language. Like the lists say, if you're a third culture kid, wherever you are, people are like, what is that accent? Or I don't understand what you're saying or where are you from? Or they certainly don't get the joke or maybe Maybe you don't get a joke because you don't have that sort of like grasp on local idiom. Because third culture kids bring an outside experience. The way they speak is often pretty notable. Maybe even confusing. They live at the intersection of home and not home. So their vocabulary and their communication goals are often pretty different from the people that they're trying to communicate with. They learn the lingo of their neighbors and they often, but they often slip into the idiom of home. Like uh, this is the whole thing like uh, for bilingual people, you ask them, what language do you dream in, right? Because that's often home, even if that's not what they speak in your house or at school or at work. So if we are to consider ourselves a certain type of spiritual third culture kids, Consider what it might mean then for us to learn how to talk and learn how to listen and learn how to communicate with others about God and God's kingdom in a way that might be kind of like clunky and awkward sometimes, but it also might be interesting for the intersection of that. Our, our witness might sound a little strange at times, um, even as we're trying to learn the language in which to communicate with. Um, I, I I ran across a a great meditation on this from uh, a woman named D.L. Mayfield who writes about uh, a a lot of shared life with refugees, specifically Somali refugee community in Portland, and and there's a passage about this. She says, she talks about this communication that happens um, at the intersection of cultures. She says, slowly I started to enter more fully into the world of my refugee friends, As the days and months blended into years, I experienced strange paradoxes. The more I failed to communicate the love of God to my friends, the more I experienced it for myself. The more overwhelmed I felt as I became involved in the myriad of problems facing my friends who experienced poverty in America, the less pressure I felt to attain success or wealth or prestige. And the more my world started to expand at my periphery, the more it became clear that life was more beautiful and more terrible than I had ever been told. This communication often sparks gracefully these new, again, expansions at the periphery for third culture kids. Another thing on the list, almost braggingly these lists talk about how third culture kids like so, much, so many different types of food. Like they have these very sophisticated and expansive palates. Third culture kids experience food much more differently than either the culture, of their birth, or their blood. In many ways, these third culture kids are, are far more kind of cultured, but also more content than anyone around them. Think about that. Like when we think about food, we, we think if you if you really understand food, you become like a foodie whether that's how you view yourself or not. And it often makes you all the more kind of snooty and above people. But that's not the third culture kid experience because they, they kind of have to eat what's in front of them often in a place that's not home. They'll try about anything because they've tasted and seen how good local delicacies are. And then they'll also eat with about anyone because they have been the odd ones out at the table. Many, many others have extended grace and hospitality to them or have excluded them so they know what it feels like. So they give people food and a place to sit. They know that food is not just for sustenance but it's for adventure and it's for family making. This is why I think it's interesting in the passage that we read today, that Kate read, that Paul pits the enemies of the gospel as those whose God is their bellies. He says, says, they're enemies of the cross and their God is their bellies. And I think it's interesting um, because isn't it that like our belly is our default for like what's driving us, like our appetites and our desires? Like if we're not thinking about it, well, we'll retreat to filling ourselves with what tastes good, what feels good, junk food, what feels like enough. I think if we're not thinking about it and if we're not walking with other people in this, we also will default to hoarding or to exploiting or to filling rather than to being humble rather than being emptied like we read last week. We'll hunt and gather rather than till and plant, water and tend and rely on the Lord to bring the harvest. So we're stuck in this in between this no man's land which is really everyone's land. And it's begging us to live into this this vision of how you live in exile, like the vision, uh, Jeremiah 21. I'm hitting on all like the, the cheesy passages that everyone gets on a greeting card and warms their heart, but Jeremiah 21 is talking about living in exile by planting gardens, getting married, having kids, and contributing to the flourishing and welfare of a place that is and isn't our home at the same time. And food is kind of a, a sign of that because we enjoy food, it, 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 it not only um, fulfills the function of, of sustaining us, but we also delight in it, um, but we can also make an idol of food. <laughs> so food is this, this interesting tension in and of itself. It's instructive for how we live in and how we enjoy, how we're fed and sustained, even as we help to feed and sustain others in a place that's not our home. Third culture kids, aside from from language and food, have a really strange relationship with time. They, they, they often, on, on all these lists, they talk about how you know you're a third culture kid when your birthday wishes start rolling in about a day ahead of time from all the people that you know that are further east than you, who are experiencing the world ahead of you. They... Third culture kids also often take pains to keep up with friendships and sports and current events, like they set these strange timers so they know how to FaceTime with someone many, many time zones away during their waking time. So they're caught in this sort of in-betweenness that, like Richard Twist uh, talks about for the First Nation people as a state of perpetual liminality, like you're always on the threshold, you're never in the room. Native Americans always seem to be on this in-betweenness in this place that is their home that's been made not their home in this living in this ancient world of their ancestors but lagging behind kind of contemporary life. And this dissonance might be one of the hardest and most difficult features of carving out a third culture. Feeling like no one else is really living on your time we feeling like you're perpetually recovering from jet lag, right? Like you're, you're always lagged. I came across a reflection from, oddly enough, Sandra McCracken, who we read her song. She, she recently wrote a, a piece about this phenomenon for the Christian. She says, the discomfort of jet lag is one of my favorite embodied metaphors for our spiritual reality. We live in a liminal space. We're pulled between two time zones. On the one hand, by faith, we're held secure in the love of God. We have received full redemption. On the other hand, though we've been made secure in Christ, we continue to experience uncertainty. We are sojourners, not yet home. Do you feel that tension, that that pull? Don't resolve it. Lean into it, like lean towards a more permanent home. Like I think of uh, Hebrews 11 that says, our, we long for a city with foundations whose architect and builder is our God. Even as you, even as you reach back, lean towards that. Finally, third culture kids, are often really good at generosity and friendship, like better than average. I think that's because they, they constantly get that where are you from question, that that, that that question no longer really matters to them. I think it's also um, because they've always been a stranger, they're better than most of us at granting permission for someone else to be strange and that, that being okay. Because third culture kids know what it's like to be a stranger, their, their like social membranes are more porous than most. Like mostly, so let's say you might be a third culture kid if like your your pictures of your friend group look like the United Nations. Like that's that's this idea, right? Their radars are more acute. No one is outright dismissed from a possible friendship. No circumstances beyond the pale. I think this sort of generosity is really hard to come by when you've always been in the majority, when you've never left home. I think when we read that prodigal story, that that's the story of the elder brother who's never left home. and It's really hard for him to be generous. It's really hard for him to be hospitable. It's really hard for him to re-receive his brother as a friend, even as his brothers unbrothered himself from him, this sort of generosity is is hard to come by because it's easier to hoard or conserve or distance yourself if you've never known pilgrimage or exile. In the news, I, I think an example of this um, for Hurricane Harvey down in Houston they had these, of, of course, this like really public story about this massive church that used to be a basketball arena not having its doors open for local refugees from the storm. Meanwhile, you have dozens of small to medium-sized mosques around the city with their doors wide open. Why do you think that is? If you've lived in Houston your whole life, you're a little more numb to the experience of being someone that needs to have the door open to you than someone who is on the outskirts at all times. So what are we to do? What is someone like me to do who is not a third culture kid or who doesn't know that experience? I think, uh, I mean, I think the call is to conversion. (laughs) I think this this is our call to follow Christ in this master story that we've been studying all summer of emptying himself and taking the form of a servant and leading into obedience and humility to even death on a cross. We're to empty ourselves and, but the emptying is not the end of the story because we then see that God exalts him and, and exalts Jesus and, and we're joined to that Jesus because we've been adopted into that family. Jesus has become our brother and our forebearer. Romans 8 says we've received a spirit of adoption so we cry with Jesus, we cry Abba, Father. We become third-culture children of God. I think this is only possible because Jesus is the ultimate third-culture kid. Just look at those markers that we did. Language. Jesus speaks as one with authority, not like the scribes or Pharisees. Like, this pops up really early in Mark's gospel when he expels an evil spirit from a man or in Luke when he starts to tell parables about the kingdom of God. Those who encounter Jesus are left pulling together the scraps of what they know and having their hearts and their minds and their stories reconfigure around this one who speaks to God in public like no one they've ever heard before because he's known God. Jesus' primary culture from eternity has been with the Father and the Son and he opens up that culture to us even as he takes on human culture opens up that family and that life to us. Or food. Food is exactly the flashpoint for anger and confusion around Jesus' ministry for those who aren't at the table. Food is exactly then and now what dumbfounds a culture with strict social mores around who's included. Jesus eats with sinners. Jesus turns water into wine for an already drunk crowd. Grace, excess, inclusion. Jesus' dinner guests often include not only the poor and the marginalized that way, but like shady dudes like tax collectors and zealots, guys that that are going to pull a knife and cut off someone's ear, (laughs) Right? Uh, Jesus also t- tells stories around this and calls us to include these types of people. He says, when you throw this sort of third culture party, go out yelling to the highways and the byways to come on in. I remember last at the end of last summer, we had a potluck down in the park and our friend Val came up to me. It, it, it was a nice potluck. It was mostly our people. Um, and she says, <laughs> Pastor, this is like the second time I, I met Val, and she's like, Pastor Chris, where are the highways and the byways in this neighborhood? And I was like, context, please? You know, um, but this is exactly what was on her radar for us. Or time. Jesus also arrives back from the future, Right? He's referred to as the son of man who is expected forever and who embodies what it means to be a human being. He lives the end now. Even as he also becomes the new Adam, who like, undoes everything that Adam has undone for us, we're included in that. His life and his work creates this overlap so that he speaks this definitive yes over the world that God loves. This it is finished. Even as we look around and we see this unjust world that needs like a definitive no at injustice, no at all the harm and hurt for ourselves and creation, even as we stand on Jesus' finished forgiveness, we certainly hope that he's not finished with us. That he's not finished with this world. He's not finished with your neighbors. And then friendship and generosity. Jesus knows. (laughs) Jesus knows what it felt like to be a refugee born into a genocide. Jesus knows what it's like to be adopted into a family with a dad that doesn't share his blood. Jesus knows what it's like to be hungry in the desert and tempted towards power and preservation. He knows what it's like to be betrayed and misunderstood. He knows what it's like to be naked, to suffer, to be abandoned by his friends, to even feel abandoned by God. Jesus knows. He knows, he knows what it's like to be tempted. Like, we so, we so often assume that our goal is, and it is, to an extent, our goal is to, to learn more and do better and become more like Jesus when we often forget like that's, that's all hinged on the fact that Jesus is just like us. <laughs> Jesus is human, but maybe even more so, right? How, how would that change the way you look at, at a life of faith? because it's out of this first-hand knowledge that Jesus creates a new third culture of hope, healing, and hospitality in which we're included. All of us, the ones least likely, we've been recipients of God's lavish, absurd grace and ridiculous generosity. It's through Jesus, that we're not only not, no longer called slaves, we're not only called enemies but that we've been able to share in a friendship with God intimacy with the one who made the world and who's remaking it and who says come along for the ride and help me remake this world so you're invited into this third culture if you've never thought of it that way please don't merely like settle that tension it only works if you keep the tension Don't assimilate. (laughs) That's not an option. But also don't remove yourself from what's going on in this little place that God has you. Sure, learn the language, eat the food, wind your watch, and make friends even as you continually reset your heart and your hopes. Like that you're, by the Spirit, transformed by the renewing of your minds even as you don't, succumb to the patterns of this world and lean towards that true home in Jesus. I want to invite, uh, I'm really uh, excited, I was studying this and I felt so strange to to try to talk about this phenomenon as someone who hasn't very first-handedly experienced it. So I want to invite Brian and Blake up. And Brian will introduce you to his friend, Blake, who's going to share a little bit about his experience with this.
1: Hey, guys. So this is Blake. Uh, We're roommates with one another, uh, with another brother uh, named Ross, who's not here this morning. But uh, Blake has been in the States about a month. Um, He was a missionary in Jordan and other places, but Jordan mostly for two years. Um, And I was at prayer on Wednesday, and Chris mentioned um, what he'd be preaching about, and earlier this week, Blake um, was discussing with me what it's like to live in two very different cultures as a Christian, Um, and this is not to put him on exhibit, because we're all missionaries in a way, but he has like completely been submersed into another culture, had their food, uh, befriended people, and... um, We just wanna hear from Blake on what he has to say to the church.
2: Yeah, thank you. Um, Yeah, thank you so much for having me up. It's so wonderful to be with you guys today. Uh, Yeah, I've been in the Middle East for three years. Um, It's been wonderful there, I've loved it. Uh, My team, so I'm from Alabama, but almost everyone else on my team is from Texas. So I say actually have had almost more Texas culture shock than Middle Eastern culture shock. Especially at the beginning, people would ask me, so how's the Arab food? I said, well, I, I don't really know, but the Tex-Mex is amazing. Um, so, but uh, you know, since then, in three years, I have uh, been able to immerse in a foreign culture. And there's a lot of joy in that, lots of uh, just uh, beautiful things of connecting with people in other cultures and seeing the way their culture, even in its fallenness, represents Jesus in a special way. Um, but it has had its, its challenges as well. Uh, there is a, um, I mean, Pastor Chris said it's so great, I have very little to add other than um, there is this, this loneliness, in a sense, uh, when you're talking with someone, and maybe they're friendly, and you're even having a good conversation, but you, you can just sense that they see you as a stranger, uh, in the literal meaning of that word, strange, or like, like you are strange to them. And, and, and there's a, a, a lack of comprehension, a, a lack of connection, uh, a, a bit of a distance, again, even between believers or even people that, that have a desire to connect with you. Uh, there's just, um, just you you, you you from a different world, you speak a different language, you uh, think in different ways. There, there's just all these many cultural aspects and sides that uh, separate us and that make you a foreigner in a foreign land. Um, uh, trying to think of examples um, that, that, that go deep. You know, Again, there's beauty in, in every culture and, and so much beauty in Arab culture, but also things that uh, push you away. They, they um, view Americans sometimes in a way that's very negative and, and you can receive, uh, negative attention because of that. Women are treated often very poorly in the culture. And so for our, the women on our team, it's very difficult you know, having cat calls and, and just unfair treatment uh, on a weekly basis. Uh, so it, it's, it's isolating in a sense. Um, but even coming back to the States, uh, I, I've returned, but not to my home. Uh, I understand people here better, and, and there is a connection. But there's also ways in which I think I've taken on some of that Arab reality, Arab culture, and now have, feel disconnects with with this culture. Um, in in small things, you know, I was uh, maybe three weeks ago packing to go on a weekend trip, um, and in, you know, in the Middle East, uh, people don't wear shorts. Doesn't matter if it's 60 degrees or 160 degrees, uh, you're wearing long pants. And so I was walking out the door for this weekend trip and I felt anxiety in my heart. I was like, where is this coming from? Like, what is this? And I realized I had only packed shorts for the weekend. And there was like an actual anxiety in my heart that I didn't have any long pants and that was just culturally unacceptable. And that's just one small example. Um, But, you know, there there are other ways. I've had my Arab-believing friends ask me, uh, why do Americans say, we should hang out sometime soon, and then they don't do anything? Like, I, I'm like waiting for the text, and the text never comes. Or they've asked me, like, why, why do American Christians say, oh, we're praying for you guys, when I know they're not praying for us? Um, and, and so when you, when you see even your own culture through someone else's eyes and get those kind of questions, uh, there is a, it starts to change you uh, in small ways and, and big ways. Um, and so it's uh, exactly what uh, Pastor Chris describes, what I've been feeling, not being home in the Middle Eastern culture as much as I love it, still having these walls and, and distances, and not being home in my own American culture either, knowing this isn't where I'm called long term, this, this isn't uh, where I connect totally anymore. Um, so uh, it has helped me, as, as he was so beautifully pointing out, to see that in a way this is true for all of us that our only home is heaven and it has helped me see that Jesus sympathizes with this struggle. Um, I just, I've often thought of where I think it's Luke 9 where Jesus, um, he, he's seeing the faithlessness of the people around him and he says, oh twisted and faithless generation, how long must I bear with you? And uh, just reading that after my experiences, I realized Jesus had 33 years of being the stranger, of no one understanding him, of uh, you know the one guy who really kind of got what he was about, John the Baptist, getting his head cut off. Everyone else almost had no clue except Jesus. He had this burden of loneliness, in a sense, he carried for decades, and his cultural gap was a trillion times bigger than any we could ever face. Uh, but he did that for us. He, he endured that daily without any complaining, without any bitterness, with only love and grace, uh, ultimately on the cross being cut off from the home of his father's presence. Um, so so I, I've been able to see, man, uh, Jesus did that for us. And as we look at that, uh, it's where we find the encouragement, the comfort, and the power uh, for all of us to, to step out culturally, to, to sacrifice home to sacrifice comfort uh, so that others might know his love as well. Um, so, yeah, just a little of my experience. I um, uh, ho- hope it's a benefit to you guys. So, mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Thanks, Blake and Brian. I, uh, stay right here because I was going to say we'll pray for you during uh, prayers of the people, but we'll pray for you now. How about that? <coughs> we'll, we'll break tenancy. Awesome. Uh, pray with me, y'all. Um, Father I thank you for uh both of these friends uh for Brian and uh for our new friend Blake. Um I thank you um for the insights that you're showing them uh in their lives um, about yourself and the way that you're um teaching them uh language and grammar to to talk about that uh, with others. Uh I pray that you uh, you guard um Blake against that loneliness homelessness. Um, I, I pray that you uh, make a home, albeit temporarily and colonial um, uh, for these guys, um, that your spirit is rich and restorative there, um, even as you uh, build them up and equip them to go. Uh, we thank you for, for them, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.